He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These are among our favorite verses in the entire Bible. And all of these verses are found in the book of Philippians. But none of these verses are found in our passage today. Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 to 30 are often overlooked. The, the discussion and description of travel plans, the itinerary of Timothy and Epaphroditus and ultimately Paul and the logistics of who is going where and who is delivering what and when is this person leaving and when can this person be expected. They're so often just kind of skipped over. But we would do ourselves an immense disservice if we were to skip over these important verses. You see, in the Christian life, we are so often drawn to the dramatic. We want to see the power of God shown in a tidal wave in our lives. And yet so often, God wants to work in our lives drip by drip. Moment by moment, small, seemingly insignificant decision after decision Pastor Zach Eswine says, almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. Timothy and Epaphroditus here give us an example of maturity in the mundane. You see, this is nitty gritty Christianity. This is what it looks like to truly follow Jesus every day. Paul is writing this letter because he wants the church of Philippi to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That's what he said in chapter 1, verse 27, worthy of the gospel. Then he painted this picture for them of Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory and then becoming a human being and suffering and dying on the cross and being exalted and given the name above every name. And then he tells them, now work out your salvation so that you can shine like stars in the universe. And then as he sets out the example of Christ, he now gives two examples of people who are following the example of Christ, two models of Christian maturity among the mundane, two case studies for Christian character, two examples that the church at Philippi ought to uh, to follow. What Paul is trying to get across here is quite clear. Look at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. So Timothy is coming soon. Look down at verse 24. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Timothy's coming soon and Paul is going to come later. And he says in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus is coming now. Timothy is coming soon. Paul is hoping to come later. Ultimately, those are the details that Paul is trying to communicate. But in communicating those details, 
He is describing Timothy and Epaphroditus in a way that's very instructional for us. And we would be wise to pay attention to these godly examples. He first sets forth the example of Timothy. So we really have two points in our message today. Here's the first one. The example of Timothy, he's an example of sincere service. Sincere service. Go back to verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says Timothy is genuinely concerned. That's where I'm getting the word sincere from. Timothy is authentic in his love for other followers of Jesus Christ. He's genuinely concerned. He is sincere. When he listens to people, he's truly listening. He's not just, as Brian Regan says, you know, waiting for his turn to, to, to open his mouth. The, the, the whole point of, of someone else talking is not just for you to formulate your ideas. No, it's for us to actually listen and receive and process what's being said. Someone who is sincere, someone who is genuinely concerned is a good listener. When, when Timothy said, you know what, I'm going to pray for you, he either prayed for them in that moment or he was intentional in making sure that he followed through on what he said because he was genuine. He was concerned. He truly listened to people. He truly prayed for people. He truly loved people and cared for people. Paul says, I have no one like him. He doesn't have any rivals. There's no parallel to Timothy in in his sincerity, in his authenticity, in his genuine concern for other believers. He says in verse 21, for they all seek their own interests. Everyone else, he's being really general here. I'm sure there were some other other believers that Paul could say were, were pursuing the interests of others. But he says, they all Everyone else, compared to Timothy, everyone is seeking their own interests. This is hearkening back to what he said in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Timothy is living out the example that Paul told them how they are supposed to live in chapter 2, verse 4. And what comes after 2, verse 4, 2, verse 5 through 11, the picture of Jesus who was concerned for our welfare, who looked into our interests, who came and suffered and died for our sake. Go back to verse 21 here. It says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy, in being genuinely concerned about the interests of others, is actually just ultimately concerned about Jesus Christ. You see, if you are going to follow Jesus, he is going to lead you right into the lives of other Christians. There's there's no such thing as a disciple of Jesus who is a loner. There's no such thing as a follower of Christ who is living in isolation. No, if you are following Jesus, you will be looking into the interests of other Christians. It's right there in verse 21, the interests of Jesus Christ. The interest of Jesus Christ is for us to be genuinely concerned about the interests and the welfare of 
others. If you follow Jesus, he's going to lead you right into community. And he's going to command you and empower you by his spirit to grow in a genuine concern for other believers. And how you listen to them, and how you love them, and how you pray for them. I remember learning when I was a a kid, and I was teaching this to the uh, TNT and the Sparks in Awana this past year. the, The acronym that goes with the word Joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and yourself. That when you, when you view your life in that order, Jesus first, then the interests of others, then your own interests, that is what ultimately leads to joy. Timothy is an example of joy-filled Christian discipleship because he was interested in what Jesus was interested in And that is the interest and the welfare of others. Too often in my life, I'm just a yuh. I'm just the why. I'm just concerned about myself. And sometimes I'm a yo. I just, it's myself and others. Sometimes I'm a yodge. I'm thinking about myself and others and Jesus. I've got it all twisted around. It's got to be Jesus and then others and then yourself. That's the only way to have Joy to be concerned about his interests. Verse 22 says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul relates to Timothy as a son. In chapter 1 of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he ref- as he's writing to Timothy, he calls him his child. Timothy and Paul had this special bond. He, he tells them, you know, you, church at Philippi, you know Timothy's proven worth. If you think back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, right before Paul goes to Macedonia, he's in Lystra and Derby, and he recruits to be part of his ministry team a young man named Timothy. And so Timothy's first assignment on the new ministry team with the Apostle Paul was to go to Philippi. He was there when Lydia got converted by the water. He was there when that demon-possessed slave girl was, was set free. He was there when the prison walls shook and the jail guard and his family got saved. Timothy was there. And so Paul tells them, you know his proven worth. I'm hoping to send him to you soon. And he says, we, we relate together like a son and a father. So there's, the, there's love. I love my sons and my sons love me. There's a sense of loyalty. My sons aren't off looking for another family. I'm not looking for other sons. I'm loyal to my children. I love them. And I lead them. And my sons for the most part, respond to the leadership that mom and dad give them. This is what, this is what Paul, Paul is communicating all of these things. There's also some hereditary uh, characteristics. There's some imitation that happens in a relationship between a father and a son. I, I notice every day I'm becoming more and more like my dad. I, I see different gestures and mannerisms, ways of speaking, and I see that I'm becoming more like my dad. And I see my own sons, and it's scary sometimes how they are becoming more and more like me. And Paul sees his relationship with Timothy like that, like a father and a son, leadership, loyalty, love, and imitation. And then he says, he talks about Timothy's service. Remember, Timothy's example is sincere 
service. He says, like a father with a son, in verse 22, he says, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now, that's revolutionary for the time. Because what, what you would expect Paul to write would be, like a, like a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Because sons were supposed to serve their fathers. But that's not what Paul says. He says, he served with me. So even though Paul knew that he had leadership responsibility and even authority over Timothy's life, when it got into the details of what it meant to serve Jesus, Paul wasn't over Timothy in serving They were serving together. You see, however you may find yourself in in any sort of relationship in the Christian life, whether it be authority within church, authority within the family, authority within the workplace, we are all servants. We are all equal. In fact, the the language there, there's a footnote in my ESV, it's, it's, it's the... It's the language not not just of servanthood but of slavery that Paul and Timothy slaved together under the loving care and direction of their master, Jesus Christ. And so they worked together. They served uh, together. He He was a man of sincere service. Paul is the leader. He's the father figure. But they were both slaves servants of the master, Jesus Christ. So Timothy was a man of sincere service, genuine concern, humble service. Paul says in verse 23, I hope, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul wants Timothy to bring the news. Paul wants Timothy to be with him right up until he knows the news. Is he going to be set free? Is he going to be executed? Will there be yet another trial? Paul wants Timothy to be with him through that process. And then once the news comes, Paul is entrusting Timothy to deliver uh, the news. Now, there's a real lesson here. Paul wants Timothy to be close. Paul loves Timothy like a son. And yet, Paul is willing to let Timothy go to share this news. You see, in church ministry, we need to be willing sometimes to let some of our best people go. I am so thankful for people that have come and have gone in our church family. There have been staff members who have gone out and planted a church like Ray Kaprowski in Ottawa or Pastor Marvin at Hope Church Toronto North. There's Hamel Gandhi who went to work at another church in Ottawa. There's all kinds of people that have been part of our church. They weren't necessarily on our staff but have served in significant ways. And in order to be faithful and fruitful in God's service, we must hold these relationships with an open hand. That it's not just about us. It's not just about our church. It's about the big picture. And Paul would have loved to have Timothy with him all the time. And yet Paul was willing to let Timothy go. It's true in the church. Loved ones, it's also true in our everyday relationships. Sometimes we can be really possessive of the important people in our lives. And envy and jealousy can work its way into, and that's, that's loyalty gone wrong. That, that's when relationships become, become an idol, and we need to hold our relationships with an open hand. So, Paul couldn't send Timothy right away, 
Paul couldn't go there himself right away. Verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul's hoping that he will be set free. He's trusting that he will be set free, but he doesn't know that for sure. So Paul can't go himself. He's not sending Timothy, so he's sending Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is our second example. So jot this down in your notes. Epaphroditus is an example of selfless sacrifice. An example of selfless sacrifice. Look at verse 25. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Notice notice this biography that Paul gives of Epaphroditus, this description. It has five parts. He calls him a brother, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, and a minister. First notice that he calls him my brother. Now take a look at the name Epaphroditus. It's, it's a Greek name. Ep means on or over. And then Aphroditus, Aphrodite. That's the Greek goddess of pleasure and a fertility, risk, gambling, and partying. Chances are Epaphroditus did not grow up in a Christian home or in a Jewish home. He is named after a Greek goddess. And yet, Paul, who is the Hebrew of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 5, he's as Jewish as can be, calls Epaphroditus my brother. The, the, ethnically, they couldn't, and culturally, they couldn't be more far apart. And yet, Paul understands that Paul's a child of God and that Epaphroditus is a child of God and that that is their primary identity. Their ethnicity, their ethnicity does not define them. What defines them is that they are sons of God, which makes them brothers in Christ. He says Epaphroditus is my brother. You see, listen, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down between us and God and between one another. The boundaries between ethnicities, the, the walls, they haven't just been blurred, they've been obliterated. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 to 28 says, for in Christ you are all sons of God. We're all in the same family through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither Paul nor Epaphroditus, Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are part of one family, and we must continually work hard together to make sure that each and every one of us understands that we belong, and that each and every one of us understands that our primary identity is where we stand in the family of God. Everything else is secondary to that. Paul was able to look at Epaphroditus and say, you are so different from me in every way. And yet, because we have Christ in common, that changes everything. You are my brother. So he calls him a brother. Secondly, he calls him a worker. Every family has chores. In order to function as a household, we all have work uh, to do. H.B. Uh, Charles, the great a pastor down south of the United States, says, The church is a spiritual family in Christ. No church is a household. Sorry. 
The church is a spiritual family in Christ. The church is a household, not a hotel. Hotels are nice. You can hang the do not disturb sign on the door. They have an at your service button on the phone. Someone cleans up after you every day. You can order room service when you are hungry. You don't have to fight over the remote control. But it does not work that way at the house. And it does not work that way in the church. The Christian life is about more than what you say know and feel. It is about what you do. We have a spiritual duty to serve others in practical ways. We are brothers and sisters and we are workers. Because we are family, we have a responsibility to care for one another in practical ways. Epaphroditus got that and I hope you get that as well as the Spirit is impressing these things on you. The third thing he says about Epaphroditus is that he is a fellow soldier. Epaphroditus is living out what Paul said in chapter 1 verse 27 that Christians are supposed to be standing firm and striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. 2 Timothy 2 verse 4 says that soldiers are not supposed to get entangled in civilian pursuits. They've got, they're on a mission. They're focused. And we too, loved ones, are ought to be soldiers in the army Uh, together. In verse 25, he calls Epaphroditus a messenger. The Greek word there is apostolos, where we get our word apostle. Now, there's nothing special about the word apostle. It depends on who you are an apostle of. So, So Epaphroditus, he's an apostle of the church of Philippi. To be an apostle means that you've been sent. You are, you, you are there to represent the church at Philippi. Now, Paul is an apostle, but the reason why it's significant to call Paul an apostle is because he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been sent by Jesus. So the term apostle is used throughout the New Testament, throughout the Greek language, to mean anyone that's sent. The issue is not whether or not you're an apostle. The issue is who has sent you as an apostle. So Peter and James and John and Paul, these are all apostles that are apostles of Jesus Christ. It's like the term president. You, you could be president of the chess club and president of, of an entire nation. So the same word is used, but it depends on the context. So Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, but Epaphroditus was acting as an apostle sent by to represent the church at Philippi. And then the last word he uses to describe Epaphroditus is minister. The language there is that of a priest serving in the temple. Philippians chapter 4 verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul, in sending Epaphroditus, he's sending Epaphroditus back. Epaphroditus came from Philippi. He came with a gift. He came with practical ministry care to provide for Paul. And look how Paul describes it. He describes it as a fragrant offering in chapter 4, verse 18. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Epaphroditus was a minister. You see, when we serve one another, it's as though we are in that privileged position of the priests who are entering into the temple to offer 
sacrifices. This is what we are called to do in serving one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have work to, get, to do. We have a battle to fight. We have a message to share, and we have priestly service to minister. And Paul gives some more details about Epaphroditus in verse 26. He says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. See, Epaphroditus somehow either on the way or when he finally got to Rome, he got sick. But notice what he's concerned about. He wasn't concerned that he got sick. He was concerned that the church of Philippi was concerned that he was sick. He was worried about them worrying about him. He didn't want to be the center of attention. He wasn't wrapped up in self-pity. His concern, again, the words I had you write down for Epaphroditus was selfless sacrifice. Even when he's sick, he's not worried about himself. He's worried about the people that may be worried about him. Verse 27 says, but God had mercy on him. So somehow Epaphroditus ended up recovering. We were not told whether it was medicine or whether it was miraculous. Listen, whether God chooses to work through medicine or whether God chooses to work through a miracle, it is always, as Paul describes it right here, it is always a mercy. It is a mercy that Epaphroditus was able to go home and return to Philippi. Paul says it was a mercy not just to Epaphroditus, but he says at the end of verse 27, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Isn't that interesting? That again, in a book that's main theme is joy, Paul acknowledges the reality of sorrow. If Epaphroditus had continued to be sick, if Epaphroditus had died, Paul would have experienced sorrow. Joy does not mean the absence of sorrow. Joy just simply means there's perspective in the midst of sorrow. Don't think that you can't grieve. Don't think that you can't be sad. Don't think that you can't lament at times. You can still be joyful in those moments because joy gives us the kind of perspective that we so desperately need. Verse 28, he says, I am, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice. There's the word rejoice. Rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. He's telling him to receive him in the Lord with all joy. Notice the repetition of this phrase, in the Lord. Go back to verse 19, I hope in the Lord. And then verse 24, I trust in the Lord. And now in verse 29, receive him in the Lord. Everything that Paul's describing here, even these mundane details about traveling from place to place, it's all happening in the Lord, as Paul is trusting in the Lord. He says, receive him with all joy. Then it says, and honor such men. Paul really gives us a good example. So as we're following the example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus, Paul is giving us an example too. Paul is recognizing and celebrating and communicating evidences of the Spirit's work in the lives of other followers of Jesus Christ. He is, he is 
not hesitant at all to talk about how God is working in other people. This is, some, this is a way that you can apply this message right now. Maybe someone is sitting with you at the kitchen table or on your couch, and you can see God working in their life. It could be someone in your family. It could be a friend. Maybe you need to pick up the phone and send someone a text or give someone a call and encourage them and say, here's how I see God working in your life. I want to honor you because I see God working in your life. He says, honor such men. And then he says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. When he says what was lacking in your service to me, he's simply saying your your presence was lacking. And so as he came, he brought, it was like the whole church was there. When Epaphroditus came to visit, it was filling up, completing what uh, what was lacking. He says he risked his life. Now, when we think about traveling from Philippi to Rome and, and back to Rome, you know, we, we don't really have a sense of the geography of it all. It, it, it's a 1,300-kilometer journey one way. And so uh, picture leaving um, Mississauga or Brampton or Georgetown, wherever, wherever you live, and then walking to New Brunswick. That's the, that's the distance that we're talking about here. And it would have taken six weeks to travel. And he certainly risked his life. And somehow this, this illness, again, we don't know how he got sick. We don't know how he recovered. But it was just one of the ways that, that we know there was an incredible risk in any of these people making these journeys. Timothy later on is going to make this journey and Epaphroditus and Paul's plan, they were all willing to risk their lives. And here's why. Because of Jesus. All of these people are simply pointing us to Jesus. That person that you're going to text after this service, that conversation that you're going to have to honor someone, you are honoring them because of Jesus. You see, Timothy served like a son with Paul, but Timothy served like a son because his eyes were focused on the Son of God. Timothy served like a slave. Why? Because Jesus, in becoming human, was found in the form of a servant in chapter 2, verse 7. Epaphroditus risked his life, loved ones, but Jesus Christ gave his life in chapter 2, verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So these examples are so important. These small little drips may not be as impressive as a tidal wave, but each and every one of them shows maturity in the mundane. And we can look through these examples and we can see the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to live for you in big things and in small things. We thank you, Lord God, for these examples that you have given to us in Timothy and in Epaphroditus and in Paul. But Lord, we thank you most of all for the example of Jesus Christ. Help us to love him and live for him and serve him. We pray in his name. Amen.